Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, the technology pros that'll turbocharge CX and the future of computing in the fog of war. It's Wednesday, August 17th, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. Dave Zvenich is leaving the General Services Administration. September 9th will be his last day as director of the Technology Transformation Service. The acting deputy director of TTS, Lauren Bracey Scheidt, will become acting director when Zvenich leaves. The Defense Information Systems Agency is standing up a new innovation unit to drive experimentation. The program director of DISAWorks, Janelle Holder, tells Defense Scoop the unit will help stakeholders from the Defense Department, industry, and academia experiment with emerging and disruptive technologies. Holder says DISAWorks is a partnership of DISA's Emerging Technology Directorate and engineering company KBR. You can read more about these stories and lots of other news at fedscoop.com. Next Wednesday is Fed Talks, the 2022 edition. The federal CIO, Claire Martirana, the DOD CIO, John Sherman, are just two of the high-level leaders in government and industry that you'll see there. It's happening at the Ritz-Carlton in Pentagon City. You can find a link to learn more and sign up for it in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. Technologists will have a seat at the table as agencies make big decisions that impact customer experience. CX is one of the pillars of the Biden administration's president's management agenda. David Santiago is head of industry for public sector document cloud at Adobe. He's former deputy assistant administrator for grant system and policy integration at the Federal Emergency Management Agency. David, welcome. It's great to see you. Thanks for coming on the program. Where should technologists be located in that seat at the table and at what stage? do you think in order to help agencies make good CX decisions? Welcome. Thank you for having me here today. Um, I, I agree with the premise that uh, technologists must be included at the highest level of federal agency decision-making. Not having a technologist at the seat of the table, uh, not having the support of the C-suite is in my mind uh, very problematic. And unfortunately, I think it is um, an issue that persists today. How agencies make an informed decision about changing an operating model for a mission-critical government service um, is, is very challenging if they don't have a technologist at, uh, at the table providing advice on the underlying tools that will very likely underpin the entire transformation. And technologists need a voice at the table too, not, not just a seat. And there's a number of downstream potential consequences for a lack of C-suite engagement without executive buy-in and visible executive buy-in agencies may not be able to overcome resistance um, from different lines of business. Different lines of business across uh, different agencies are not necessarily designed to work well together. uh, And you often do need top level management engagement to broker differences of opinion. You also, um, without executive uh, buy-in at the highest level, you may not have a truly enterprise approach to change. And instead you might have digital swirl where digital things are happening, but they're not transformational. And then there's also the issue of risk. Without the right level of support uh, from the highest levels of the agency, you you may be introducing risk to the enterprise that isn't properly uh, vetted or mitigated. And finally, there was a recent IDG study that pointed out um, across all industries that 46% of IT directors said a a lack of executive buy-in is a leading barrier to transformation. So this is a really critical area. I love that term digital swirl, David, and I wonder how you measure in the moment, especially that you're just kind of doing almost 
sounds like the idea of busy work that you're just doing something, but you're not necessarily delivering mission capability. That is what it sounds like that is. And I wonder how you assess that in the moment. Yeah, that's a great question, Francis. And, and I think that kind of, again, it gets back to first having um, the senior most level buy-in, but then once you get past that, um, I, I think it's important for agencies to develop strategic plans where their digital transformation initiatives are um, explicitly called out and then developing an integrated strategy across the agency with clear transformation goals or KPIs um, that outline um, outcomes. Um, because without, without having those measures, um, there's no way to track progress and, and the cost of failure can be high um, for some of these initiatives. So a strategic plan uh, that's integrated implies that collaboration that we were talking about at the very beginning of this conversation too, doesn't it? I mean, that involves all, I count for uh, IT, human capital, acquisition, financial management, all four of those stakeholders collaborating on developing these strategic plans. It, are, are there other people that need to be involved too, or does that pretty much cover the people that should be in those conversations and, and be developing those plans together, David? Yeah, I think those are some of the key decision makers, but but also, you know, each agency has their own mission. So, uh, I, for example, when I worked at FEMA, um, there were multiple different grant programs. So for certain digital transformation initiatives, you'd certainly want to get the buy-in uh, other lines of business, mission-facing uh, services. So it's really the entire executive team that I think needs to be involved. Um, of course, there, there are certain key players, but um, really this is an all-of-enterprise approach um, to making uh, decisions. And when and you think about digital transformation, especially in the CX front, you're really talking about you know, some profound changes to operating models. And um, there's a lot of equities across um, multiple lines of business, both operational lines of business as well as um, mission-facing services. Um, when you talk about an all-of-enterprise approach, that makes the, the the possibility that comes to mind there, David, is that you wind up with a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Is there such a thing as too many? There, yeah, there certainly can be you know, a lot of voices and as a best practice, a lot of agencies implement governance boards or, or some sort of governance process where you have the appropriate stakeholders to vet um, decisions that um, may be impactful to them. So I think, you know, it, it does take a balanced approach where um, where you have the right people with the right equities in the conversation. I want to yeah. go I want to go back to that idea of uh, executive leadership buy in. I imagine that's not just important at the beginning, as you've suggested and others have suggested on this program, what does one do to continue that, to continue demonstrating progress, to continue demonstrating ROI, not just from a budget perspective, but from a time and human resources perspective? What does one continue to do to demonstrate that so that that buy-in continues all the way through to the end of an, of an execution? Right. That's a great question, Francis. Um, so, you know, like I mentioned earlier, having really clear and intuitive KPIs are important to measure progress. I do think for a lot of these, especially for some of the larger trans digital transformations, um, it, it's important to also show incremental progress, like material progress, 
uh, where you are actually, agencies are actually delivering capabilities. And I think that's where making it, that's why it's so critical to have a technologist at the seat of the table for the C-suite, because choosing the wrong technologies for the wrong, for choosing the wrong technologies that don't address the solutions at hand can, can create a lot of swirl. Um, and if you think about, you know, leadership buy-in, there's, a number of um, government leaders that are politically appointed. They may only be around for a couple of years. So, you know, there's, you have to take the long perspective. The long, there's a, like a lot of these transformations can take many years to, to kind of fully run their course. But if you choose the right technologies that fit the right solution, you can start demonstrating progress incrementally and more quickly. At the beginning of our conversation, you talked about the fact that there are still places, still organizations that struggle with having the uh, having those technologists have that seat at the table. Is the process, in your view, improving overall or have we hit, do you think, kind of a style? I know it's different at every organization, but broadly across the enterprise of the federal government. Is it your sense that things are improving on that respect that we continue to make progress so that we've kind of stalled out? I think, Francis, there's definitely improvements across the board. I mean, especially with um, the recent executive order, on customer experience. I mean, there's, there's definitely a recognition across government that that digital transformation is a strategic imperative and that technologists need to be more engaged. That said, you know, a, a lot of members of the leadership team don't necessarily have a technology background. So I think at times involving technologists for certain organizational transformation initiatives can, um, can be overlooked, you know? So it's important, I think, to, um, for agencies to continue to keep in mind that, you know, technology is still having a, a profound effect on society. It's having a profound effect on government. And um, agencies really need to um, bake that into the DNA of, the, of, of how their organizations operate. David Santiago, great conversation. Thanks very much for joining me today. I appreciate it. Thanks, Francis. You can read more about customer experience in the PMA in today's show notes, thedailyscooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop podcast. Voting's open now for the 2022 edition of the Fed Scoop 50. You can vote for your choices until September 30th. We'll announce the 2022 winners November 3rd. You can find a link to see the finalists and place your votes in today's show notes, thedailyscooppodcast.com. The new fog and edge computing needs statement from the Defense Department lists the assets the department needs for the next generation fight. The Pentagon will host a virtual meeting in the fall to focus on fog and edge computing. Lieutenant General Jack Shanahan, U.S. Air Force retired, is former director of the Joint Artificial Intelligence Center. Jack, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. I dropped you a note yesterday in anticipation of this conversation. I've covered edge computing on this program a number of times, so I'm familiar with that concept. Fog computing was new to me, and you laid out a really simple analogy for me to understand. Share that with the folks that are listening to this program, Jack. Welcome. Sure, Francis. Thanks. And once again, I am so pleased to join. I always enjoy these conversations, so, so I'm glad to, to talk about this. Uh, the best way I describe it, well, first of all, 
as we saw both with Project Maven and the Jake, the whole emphasis over the past few years has to be move more and more to the edge. Uh, all of those early Project Maven capabilities were about analytic tools back mostly in the United States, but in some other locations to do all that processing. But we also realized you had to push more and more out at the tactical edge. Now, there were disadvantages because they hadn't really solved all the side weight, weight and power requirements that come with saying putting some of these high compute analytic capabilities on a platform or on a sensor. So that's related to this. Uh, so as you do more and more at the edge, you need more and more compute at the edge. The idea of fog computing is to serve, the best way I describe it is an intervening layer between sort of a centralized cloud back in the, the big cloud in the sky, so to speak, in the tactical edge. If you can do edge computing, great. But there are a lot of times where you will be limited by that size, weight, and power constraints, by the amount of computing that you have available. So doing some element of compute, not data generation in FOG. FOG doesn't do the data generation. You're doing the data generation at the tactical edge. Then you're doing some amount of compute in this idea of FOG computing. Why is it called FOG computing? Best I can understand is because like FOG is close to the ground. Fog computing is close to the tactical edge. And the example I sent you is a fitness tractor. People wear these personal fitness trackers. They don't have a lot of compute or processing power on them. But what does have more than you had in the Apollo program back in the 60s is your personal device, electronic device, a cell phone, electronic you know, cell phone equivalent, whatever it is. So you have a phone connected to that fitness tractor that's doing all the compute rather than just taking this fitness tractor and sending all this data back to some cloud, which is very inefficient and it's really not very effective. So it's an intervening layer to do some of that processing that can be really the solution at the warfighting analogy is to do a lot of that work as close as you can to, to a battlefield, especially is we know you're going to have a disconnected environment because an adversary is attacking you at every possible node and trying to do electronic warfare, cyber attack. So the more you can do at the edge in a disconnected environment, overall, the better off the department's going to be. So that's exactly the reason why your description made so much sense to me, Jack, because when you talk about limited by size, weight, and power, the other factor there you just mentioned too is what the adversary wants to do to try to intercede. Most definitely. And and look, as we see what's playing out in Ukraine right now, these autonomous systems are getting smaller and smaller, and you're getting more of them. They still are limited in range because the batteries are they're still the limiting factor here. But we're seeing the future, and we're seeing the future unfold in front of our, our very eyes. And it's going to be these small, swarming, attritable systems that don't have a lot of space on board to pit, put large amounts of compute. So this is why I think you'll see fog, fog computing come in uh, as another solution, not as the only solution, but as yet another solution. Yes, this is another piece of what I go to all the time when I think about these, which is joint all domain command and control. So if I think about JADC2, and I'm an amateur, so if I oversimplify this or whatever, please correct me, Jack. But if I think about that analogy that you use, the fitness tracker and the phone, where the information goes directly from one device to the other instead of having to go back to a, a big cloud somewhere, this is the aircraft uh, communicating information and data directly with the ship in the sea right below it instead of the information having to come back to the big cloud wherever it lives around the world. Am I thinking about it the right way? You are thinking about it the right way. And I, and I always look at this in this idea of I want the best of all worlds. I want centralized compute. Why? Because it's massive amounts of compute. I have GPUs, I have TPUs, I have all this compute available. But I also want things to happen at the tactical edge. 
if I'm not going to have access to something during a fight, then I need to have alternatives. I need to have systems that are resilient, that can handle an environment where they're disconnected from this centralized processing capability. But once they can reconnect, they reconnect, and now you get the best of all worlds again. But in the meantime, your description of JATC2 is very appropriate because in the future, we and let's take a fight in the Pacific. We're going to be jamming electronic warfare, cyber attacks, kinetic attacks, and everything else in between in every domain. We have got to build in resiliency in this system and hope that that we can build them in a way that they do whatever they can do on their own for as long as they need to do it. But the advantage is when they reconnect, they've got all this other um, capability, sensors, platforms, compute available to me sort of worldwide. That's why I say the best of all worlds, but plan for that worst case scenario. We have to expect that part. And you know, in the meantime, if it's best case, great. So here's what the department says it needs, Jack, according to this uh, fog and edge computing need statement transformational computing technologies, collaborative computing and cutting edge networking for fusion of multi-spatial, multi-signal and multi-reports. Translate those multis for me as somebody who's not familiar with those terms. Well, I, so here's what I always think of it this way is when I say multi-domain, I, I want to go under sea to outer space and everything in between, air, land, merit, or um, cyber, electron, electromagnetic spectrum, everything. So I want to go across all domains, no single domain fights anymore, no single service fights anymore, which is equally important. So I want to go across all of that. And, I, and what they're looking for is some cutting edge solutions. And there are technologies out there that, that I can promise you. I think that thing closed on the 10th of August. They probably got a lot of really good submissions that the department is now going to work their way through to see what can really be optimized for the battlefield environment. This is not a sterile laboratory anymore. This is this is what's going to happen in the real world. And to your point about being limited potentially by size, weight, and power, um, this statement says that some of the needs that they list, uh, increasing onboard data analytics, that's that's power, uh, compute power uh, at the edge and in the fog, limiting communications latency and cost, uh, increasing human situational awareness, enabling adaptive decisions and providing energy efficient computing and architectures for data collection and processing that I, I think back maybe even five years, definitely 10 years. And I'm not sure I've seen the emphasis on energy consumption, the, the, mm -hmm. the, the juice that's necessary to power these systems that I see today. Is that a fair observation on my part? Yeah, there's two things. One, exactly right. L what is the biggest challenge today with some of the electric vehicles? It's batteries. Uh, so you're seeing a lot of companies jump into this space, Tesla being sort of one of the leading ones or the, 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 the first mover, if you want to say that. But there's an awful lot of fast followers trying to solve this battery problem. No different than, say, on a drone. Uh, one of the good capabilities that Air Force Research Lab, excellent capability, had been developing while I was in Project Maven, and I know they're still working on it, is a pod to put on, say, an MQ-9 size to do a lot of that processing because it is so power dependent. You need a big platform, which is, brings us back to a fog computing. I need something else. If I, if I have a really small capability, unmanned underwater vehicle, air vehicle, whatever, or, or ground vehicle, I need something else. I, I might not be able to do it all yet. I think we're going to see those technologies develop. The other thing, Francis, you brought up, which is so important, is this idea of latency. It might not seem like milliseconds is a big deal when you're talking latency on, on ordering my movie off of Netflix. It is when I'm making a life or death decision from Creech Air Force Base in Nevada and shooting a missile against a, a target somewhere 
you know, four or five, 6,000 miles away. That's why centralized compute can sometimes cause a little bit of an issue because this idea of milliseconds of latency may not be, may, may be too problematic, which is why you want to do compute at the edge whenever possible. My next question was going to be about the human power that's necessary to operate in these environments. And that's especially important, I guess, when you're talking about the fact that the shooter can be 6,000 miles away from the target. That's right. That, and, and so that's why the other thing you're seeing is, is, is uh, I go back to what we see playing out between Ukraine and Russia right now is you're seeing more autonomous capabilities, not yet AI enabled, although sometimes people sort of want to portray it that way. But the idea is truly autonomous capabilities. It has an image stored somewhere that said, go after this tank. And when it sees a tank, it drops a weapon on. Um, now we start thinking about the human is, is out of that loop again. That's a different scenario that we've got a lot more thinking to do about that future AI-enabled autonomous weapon system environment. What's the infrastructure that's going to be necessary to build all of this beyond what we've already laid out, what the department's already laid out, do you think, Jack? Well, this is a, this is the big question. We, we we focus, we tend to focus. I won't say exclusively. We get enamored by the technology which is above the waterline. What really matters is the ninety six percent below the waterline, which is all the enabling functions, the architecture that goes behind this. I need compute. I need a way to do a data management pipeline. I need systems that can handle continuous integration, continuous delivery. I need to build a program office that understands sort of leading edge software best practices and put those into the field. And that's why I'm excited about this paper that I've been working on with Nan Molchandani, former uh, chief technology officer of the Jake, now the, the CIA's first CTO, chief technology officer. He's been thinking for years. He only, it only took him six months in the Department of Defense to realize what the problem was. He said, he kept telling me, General, I know you want to focus on the AI. We got a much bigger problem in the department, which is you have an architecture that was built for a hardware industrial age environment. We need a software digital age architecture. And this paper is going to lay out about nine different areas to focus on what that means to fix the architecture in a software driven, you would call it software defined warfare. It's the title of the paper. I would love to talk to you and Nan when that's ready for publication, Jack, because I, I understand the hackles that the idea of software raises in a fix our computers environment in 2022, <laughs> when someone starts to talk about the importance of defining the entire mission of the department based around software. What you just said a moment ago, though, really resonates with me because I recall comments that you made standing right next to Dana Deasy as <laughs> the head of the Jake. And we're not going to go down the Jedi rabbit hole, I promise, Jack. But regarding that capability, how important it was for you to have that capability. And now I think I understand finally after a couple of years what all the pieces are that brought you to that to that sentiment a couple of years yeah. back. Yeah, and, it goes, and, and, and so this is the idea of uh, I need, in an AI world, I need massive amounts of compute, both for a training environment, but also for inference. And when I say inference, you feel that a model, now the model is doing what we've trained the model to do. That's big compute. It's getting smaller. It's getting better. But if you look at these capabilities like GPT-3 or DALI, they are based on enormous amounts of compute power. This is not one little GPU. This is hundreds, if not thousands of GPUs worth of compute power. Does Moore's law apply in a cloud computing world, in a cloud computing universe, Jack? I, I think it's going to at some point, but I, maybe it's not Moore's law. It's Moore's law. It's just how much more can I add? You know, what's my what's my vertical 
integration costs and what's my horizontal integration costs. Um, that's what we're going to lay out a little bit in the paper too, why we've got to get much better at um, no more additional, one more aircraft carrier is not the way to think about this. It's we have hardware already. Let's make the hardware we have so much more effective through a software defined approach to doing our business in the DOD. General Shanahan, it is always great to talk to you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Francis, thank you. I enjoy it every time and look forward to the next one. You can read more about fog computing in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you don't want to miss a show, you can subscribe and get the show every weekday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your shows, and on any device you get your shows. And if you really like the Daily Scoop Podcast, leave us a five-star rating and a review. It will help more people find the show. The Daily Scoop Podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher helped me put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The Daily Scoop Podcast returns tomorrow. Until then, I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening.